Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to continue our series on pursuit. I mentioned this in the first service. I really thought maybe at this point we'd be at least through the first part of the pursuit, but God just keeps bringing more and more, and next week there's going to be something special that's going to tie into this uh, really directly. But what we said from the very beginning is that our pursuit of people, his promise, and his power is really ultimately our pursuit of him. We also said that our pursuit of him means that we have to be aware that it's not a temporary pursuit, but it's a pursuit for eternity. That everything that we are doing as a church is not just with the here and now in mind, although we recognize the significance and we're going to talk about it here today, but that everything we do right now on this earth, in these lives, through these bodies, that there is an impact that is going to speak beyond today and tomorrow and next week, but into the rest of time. We as a church have to be aware of the earthly decisions that have eternal implications. And so to do this this morning, to really look at this and unpack this, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is a parable that Jesus speaks. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you... Go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. When we read this parable, it's very clear to see what God is speaking about. He's speaking about the decision that we will make on earth, which will determine our eternal residence. He's speaking about eternity, and and Jesus speaks about this a few times, talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says a chapter earlier, once again, you will not know the time or the hour when the Son of Man will return. And so when we read this story, we see a few characters in it. We see, number one, the bridegroom. Number two, we see the bridesmaids or the virgins. And then we see two distinctions being drawn between them. There were the five who were wise and the five who were foolish. We see that all of them have come together. They are waiting. But it says that the bridegroom was delayed. Now we have to ask the question, was the bridegroom actually delayed? Or did he just not come when they expected him to come? But they were waiting. But it says in verse 5 that as they were waiting, they all became drowsy 
and they slept. How many of them became drowsy? They all became drowsy. They all went to sleep. For me, at least on some level, there's some level of comfort in this. So at some point, all of us have become drowsy. All of us have fallen asleep. That There are times where we get so wrapped up in what's going on in the world around us. We get so wrapped up in circumstances and situations and feelings and emotions and maybe even sometimes the good things that are happening that we become drowsy. And we take our eyes off of what really matters, which is eternity. This word drowsy is really a perfect description for it. Because drowsy is like, I'm awake-ish, but I'm not really focused on. I'm not really productive. I'm not really doing what I've been called to do. So it says they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I need to suggest here today that there are times that the church and the body of Christ has become drowsy and has fallen asleep. Where the same things, the busyness of life, the the situations has caused us to to fall asleep. But then it says at verse 6, at midnight, during a time of darkness, that the bridegroom returns. Startled but excited, they all get up and they trim their lamps. I wanted to have a little bit of a visual here today. My main goal here is to not knock this over at any point during the message. I was successful during the first one. But it says they got up in that moment, they heard the bridegroom returned, and they did what they knew to do. They trimmed their lamps. The good news is they all had lamps. They, they all knew what to do next. They, they trimmed their lamps, and honestly, I didn't really know what this meant. I had to do a little research on it. Like in today's day and age, we use a flashlight on our cell phone. We don't have lamps that we walk around the house with. At least I don't. I don't know about anybody else here. But to trim the lamp means to trim the wick, to remove the old, to remove that which has been and has been burnt, to allow the oil to flow through to produce the fuel for the light to shine. So the good thing is, right, they're all together. They're all called. They're all invited to this, presumably from reading this story. They all bring their lamps. They know what to do. They all trim the wicks. They trim their lamps in order for the oil to flow through. But some of them were still called wise and some of them were called foolish. You see, there was something that they were called to do, and I believe in this time, and we can read into this story a little bit, that they would have been excited and anticipating and waiting for what was to come. They, they had probably thought about this a few times. When the bridegroom shows up, this is what I'm going to do. They knew the next step to take. But in some ways, evidently, they just began going through the motions and doing it over and over again, and and just doing the next thing, waiting for him to come, but once again, they became drowsy. I need to also suggest this here today, that there are times where the church has not just become drowsy, but we have become so familiar with what we are supposed to do, with the words we are supposed to speak, with the verses we are supposed to quote, that we have started to go through the motions. To know what it means to be a Christian in name only. To not understand that there are things that are truly meant to be done 
in this time. See, not all the church has invested in the lifestyle, in the oil, in, in what needs to be present for us to become who we've been created to become. We're very aware of eternity. From the moment that we accept Jesus into our hearts, one of the highlights of this package is that we are going to live in eternity with Jesus, right? We're, we're aware of this. But just because we're aware of this does not mean that we have always invested in what matters. And there are times where we have neglected the pursuit of the eternal in order to acquire the pleasure of the present. There are times where even though we have known what is required of us, we have gone after the temporary gratification instead of the eternal pursuit of what is going to live on and what we've been called to do. You see, there were five who were ready, but then there were five who were not. They all got up. They all arose. They all trimmed their wicks. But there was a moment where they recognized, that five of them recognized that even though they had everything in place, they had their lamps, they trimmed their wicks, that they had a flame that could not and would not last. And the reason was is because they hadn't invested in the oil necessary to sustain the flame when it really mattered. See, having the lamp or the fire is important. But if we don't have the fuel, it becomes useless. We can know the things we are supposed to do, but if we are not investing in the oil, which in the Bible often is the representation of the Spirit, if we're not doing what is required of us in the time it's required for us to do it, we can have all the right things. It can all look ready. But when the moment comes where we need what God has placed on our lives, it doesn't always mean that it's ready if we haven't done what He's called us to do. The question is, Are we investing in what really matters? Because when we invest in what really matters, when we light it, there's a flame that can be sustained. First thing I said today is I don't want to drop this. The second thing is I don't want the fire alarm to go off. You see, the the five foolish bridesmaids came up to the five wise. They asked the others for their oil. Can we have some of your oil? But they responded, this isn't something that I can do for you. This is something that you must do for yourself. Go out, try to grab more oil, try to make it back in time. Because I can't do this for you. We have to realize, church, that that we are not going to allow somebody or be able to have someone else do this for us. That we are called to invest in the things that matter right now. We can't do it for our children. We can't do it for our loved ones. They can't do it for us. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. There is an investment that must be made in the time that is meant to be made. So the the five wise bridesmaids look to the others, and they say, there were things that you were called to do in preparation for this moment, and you neglected to do them. There were choices you were meant to make in areas that maybe you didn't think were significant or impactful but they were necessary. Are we paying attention 
to the things, to the places, and to the responsibilities that God is highlighting in our lives? Are we paying attention to what He is calling us to do, or have we created our own list of responsibilities based off the things that we think are important, neglecting the investment that He's calling us to make? There are choices to be made in the here and now that are going to have an impact on eternity. But there are times where we choose to invest in things that don't matter. Church, this morning we have to realize and we have to recognize that there are decisions that we are called to make on this earth right now, and they really and they truly matter. We know that when this world comes to its conclusion... That when Jesus comes back, that we look in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, and it ends with verse 12, which says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There is a time where we will have to stand before him, where we will have to give an account for what we have done on the earth with what we've been entrusted. We know the single most important decision that we can make an investment that we can make is giving our hearts to Jesus. We know that's the most important thing that we could do, but we've also discussed over these past two weeks that sometimes we don't fully understand what this means. We don't fully recognize what Jesus has accomplished for us. We don't fully understand what it means to be transformed, to be redeemed. There are times where we just don't get it because there are so many other voices, external and internal, preaching a different truth to us. In the same way, we can become so aware of what's going on right now, distracted by other things, not realizing there are investments to be made right now for eternity. Sometimes we know the principles. We we have everything in place, but, but we haven't actually done the things that God has called us to do to apply them to our lives. So we continue to read this story. It says that, The five foolish bridesmaids, they lost sight of their responsibility. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Church, there are times where we have not protected our oil. There have been times where we have not been prepared. Our Christianity, who we are in Him, is not just the label It's not just words that we speak. It's not a birthright in that it's guaranteed to us. It it is something far more significant. It is something that Jesus has called us to walk in in order to bring the influence of the kingdom here on earth. And there is something that is required of us. But if we don't recognize it, it becomes easy to treat the matters of earth as trivial or the circumstances of a darkened and broken world as inevitable. Do you know that we as the church are called to this earth for a time, for a season, and for a reason to bring change? If we just look at the situations, we can easily look at it and be like, look how dark the world is. What am I ever going to do about it? It's inevitable. Do you know what's inevitable? The return of Jesus. Do you know what we've been called to do? To carry Him, to carry His Spirit, to carry His Word to the world. To speak the truth. That is what we are called to do for eternity. And this this really has application in so many areas. 
So many things that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks with our friends, our family members, with our communities, with the nation, with the world. But this morning I want to look at a very specific area that we are all very aware of in this political season. There are decisions that will be made now that will echo and speak for eternity. So what we're going to talk about has major ramifications and there is a lot on the line. When Jesus came to earth, he came to establish something, right? Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 is this story where Jesus goes to the disciples and he looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, he goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him with something so significant and so important. He looks at him and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this revelation that I will build my church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In this moment, Jesus could have decided to label his, his body, his, his gathering, the church, as anything that he wanted. But when he does this, he uses a very specific word. And he doesn't use a word that's found in the Hebrew. He doesn't use a word that they would have learned about in the synagogues. He uses the word ecclesia. See, ecclesia has great significance. During that time, it was the political assembly or gathering of citizens, especially in the ancient Greek state. To the Greeks of Christ's day, the ecclesia was an assembly of people called out from among the citizens to govern the affairs of a city or nation. To the Romans, it meant a little bit more. To the Romans, it was when the Roman Empire would go into a territory, would conquer it, and then send its representatives into the territory to change their way of life and to make it look more like Rome. They would go in there and they would change the government, the social structure, the language, the schools, until the people talked like, thought like, acted like, and considered themselves Romans. This is the word that Jesus used to describe his church. You see, in using this terminology, Jesus was saying that his church, the gathering of those who would recognize who he was, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that they would have influence and have the ability to bring the influence of heaven to earth. This is what the church was meant to be. Not to dominate or to control as the Romans would, but to bring the truth of the kingdom, to bring the freedom that comes from knowing the identity that God has for us, from knowing who Jesus is. This is what the ecclesia, the church, was meant to do, to influence, to bring men and women into relationship with Jesus for eternity. It was to bring the culture of heaven to earth. But make no mistake about this. It wasn't ever going to be done without a fight. That it wasn't just going to happen because it was spoken. 
And the thing is, we have to realize that we as the church, the ecclesia, that are bringing the message of the gospel into the world, that if we're going to do this effectively, it's not going to be without resistance. There's going to be times where we are seated in the place of where our enemies are surrounding us, that there is going to be something that we have to do that is not always comfortable. But it would be short-sighted for us to think that this battle is one-dimensional, only happening on one arena. You see, we are tripart beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. We know that there is a fight in the spirit. We know that we have been called to step into our identities and to take our authority and to pray and to battle in the spiritual realms. This started the moment that we said yes to Jesus and continues on forever. We know this fight very well. There's also a fight in the soul, which is where we are trying to get our mind and our will and our emotions to line up and to come under the truth and the lordship of Jesus and the spirit of God. Anyone else ever fight that battle? We're aware. It it requires something of us. It's a fight. But there's also a fight that takes place in the body, in the natural, and it's one that we are not always very willing to embrace and accept. You see, we in the body are called to take our rightful position as men and women fighting for the freedom of those that the enemy has come to attack, to steal from, to kill, and to destroy. It's really easy to be excited about the spiritual part. It's really easy to understand the fight inside of us, but it's not always that we are willing to take the fight in the natural realm because this is the place that it is most inconvenient, most uncomfortable, and a place that we don't want to ruffle feathers, we don't want to upset people, and we don't want to make people not like us. But there is a battle that starts in the spirit. It definitely works in the soul, but we must take it into the physical realm. But in many ways, we have become drowsy. We've become drowsy in the darkness. But if we don't recognize that there is an actual fight taking place on this earth, if we don't realize that there is a responsibility that we have as men and women called by Jesus, called to an identity, called to a purpose, if we don't recognize what we're up against, we're never going to accept the challenge. If we don't recognize that there is an enemy actively taking the lives of children, going after them with depression and anxiety and fear, that if we don't understand that the devil is going after children through brokenness, through the destruction of the nuclear family, and through, yes, abortion, if we don't understand and recognize that there is a kingdom actively bringing confusion into the hearts of young people, trying to distort their identity, trying to uh, distort their, their idea of who they are with ridiculous pronouns, desiring to twist their pain and their desires into a place to mutilate their bodies, to take puberty blockers, to do things that cannot be changed and reversed because the devil, because of the influence, which is saying, this is going to be the thing that's going to make you happy. This is the thing that's going to fix it. This is the thing that's going to make it all better. When the truth is, it is a further attack of the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy.
If we don't recognize that there is a culture that is demonically influenced to promote sexual attraction to the same sex, to any sex, and now normalizing pedophilia. If we don't understand that there is a sexualization taking place in the young people of our nation, taking them to drag shows, taking them to places, even in the schoolhouse, where there are books that have pornography inside of them, to be able to speak to who the devil wants them to be, to accept things about themselves that are not true. If we don't recognize that there is a battle taking place in a physical way, that we will not say yes to the responsibility that God has called us to go after. All the while trying to keep the parents out of the classrooms and trying to keep us in the dark. I'm not even talking about social media today. If we don't recognize that there is a progressive ideology that is looking for answers everywhere but through Jesus, pushing the agendas of the world that bring more pain and more confusion to men and women searching for answers. If we don't recognize that there are individuals, institutions, political parties and individuals that are all too happy to say that we shouldn't be meeting together, locking down our communities telling the church when they can and cannot meet, how many people can be there, how distanced they have to be, and whether you can sing or not. If we don't recognize these things, then it would be easy to disregard who we have been called to be as the ecclesia. You see, there is a fight that always must start in the spirit. Ephesians 6.12, we know it well. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. But it doesn't stop in the spirit. It absolutely has to start there. And it has to be focused out of that place. And that has to be the place we're getting our assignment, the place that we are seeing who we are, taking our identity from it. But throughout this word, there have been men and women who have been called to do something. The spirit of God speaks to them. But guess what? They are then called into action. There is a book that has been written by God that tells stories about men and women who got their assignment from heaven, but it didn't stop there. It then required action. We have to understand that this book speaks to us right now as much as ever before. But yet there are Christians, or at least those at times who would identify as such, who have become very comfortable within the confines of religion. A religion that doesn't carry the oil. And the results are the same as it was for the foolish bridesmaids. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. There are too many lamps within the church that have gone out. There are times where we have sat back and watched the world around us. We've seen communities. We've seen individuals. We've seen messages being pushed and narratives that have created a darkness in this world. And once again, we have stepped back and we have looked at it as being inevitable. That it's just dark out there. That it's just going to happen the way that it's going to happen. Without understanding that we have been called to bring the light, the influence of heaven into the world around us. 
But if we don't understand that there's something required of us now, we will never take the battle. We will never take our assignments. I hear people say all the time, you can't talk about politics in church. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to talk about it. People are going to leave. They don't want to hear it. But the truth is this. That God is speaking and His church is meant to be the mouthpiece and the one that communicate His truth. It's also the same people that talk about the separation of church and state, which is that, you know, they say that the, the church is not meant to be involved in the affairs of the state when it was actually always meant to be, that the state wasn't meant to interfere in the actions of the church. It's the same people that would say to you and me, when you go out in the public, don't preach about what you think. Don't talk about your beliefs. Don't go into the workplace and share what you really think. When every place I walk into, they're more than happy to display their beliefs and their identities and their theology to me. But I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. See, for far too long, we have played by the rules. And for a little bit, at least, they were tolerating us. Listen. We are not meant to be the ones who are seeking the approval of the world around us, allowing culture to dictate who we are as the church. We have endorsed and come into agreement with the lie of the enemy when we believe these falsehoods and these lies. You know, the same people in the government that would say, don't speak about these things, have no problem promoting their beliefs as gospel and condemning anyone else who would disagree with them. But here's the truth once again. We haven't endorsed and come into the the agreement with the lie of the enemy when we believe these things. We have come into the agreement that the church is supposed to make you feel warm and fuzzy and comfortable. You're supposed to walk in and walk out feeling so happy about everything. I love when we walk out happy, but I would much rather us know the truth and have the truth be the thing that's making us happy. The church is supposed to be the place that trims the lamp. The church is meant to be the ones who are taking the old, taking the old broken places, the burnt places, exposing them for what they are and removing them as we step into agreement with the Word of God. But when we allow the world to influence us, we pave the way for depravity to lead in our communities and our nation walking around with empty lamps while continuing to go through the motions in a spiritual slumber. That is not who the ecclesia is meant to be. That is not who Jesus has called us to be. We have allowed our opinions to be shaped by the world and not the truth of God. We have allowed political rhetoric and media messaging to form our opinions We have allowed a very real hurt and pain for the brokenness of what has taken place in our nation to shape our path forward. We have allowed and promoted those who would use the term racism and throw it around so loosely that it would almost dilute the incredible men and women who stood up and spoke and fought for, like Martin Luther King Jr. and so many that were around him that came and they stood for what is right. But we've allowed it to be weaponized. We've allowed it to come in and to bring division, to separate families and to separate the church and to allow it to be used as something that is a tool of the enemy. 
instead of pursuing reconciliation. We've become drowsy, taking our cues from culture along with celebrities of our day who would tell us what is right, wrong, intolerant, and hateful. I don't care what celebrities have to say, church. We shouldn't care what celebrities have to tell us. Our wicks have become clogged with the lies of the world, and step by step we have grown closer to the viewpoints of the world. At times, the church has placed a higher value on their truth instead of God's, stepping into the fear that some might disagree with us and not recognizing the significance of what we're doing right now in the view of eternity. You know, I hear people say that sometimes viewpoints that we would have and hold as Christians are dangerous. They're intolerant. They're fascist beliefs. There's comparisons. I was listening to a news organization compare these beliefs to Nazi Germany. But you know what? When the church knows what God has said, when we stand in the truth of what he's called us to walk in, there are going to be people that aren't going to agree with us. That sometimes these viewpoints are going to be looked at as dangerous and intolerant. But are we going to choose to take our cues from the world and to step into a place of wanting to appease them? Or are we going to choose to take the word and the wisdom of God and to use it to influence and to shape our world and culture? There is a fight, but it's a fight that is walked out through wisdom, through discernment, and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is not a battle of flesh. It is not a battle of my opinions or my emotions or what I think needs to be done. It's taking my cues from the Spirit of God and living them out. Not backing down from a fight and not being afraid of what others might think, but saying yes to Him and Him alone. We can no longer play according to the rules of the world. So why do we bring this up today? Is there anything that we can do to make a difference? Does who we vote for actually matter? Is what we're going to do in this arena going to matter for eternity? Is there a right choice and a wrong choice? Have we been given a light that is meant to shine in the dark places? Yes, 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 and very much yes. We've been called to stand and to fight for what is right. We've been called to influence. We've been called to protect the lives of the innocent of all ages from the moment of conception to the moment where they walk into school to teenagers to adolescents throughout adulthood. We are called to invest and to influence and to protect and to fight for. We as a church have been called to take a stand against the corrupt agendas who have no regard for people but are just seeking power. And popularity. And the reason is very simple. Because lives are actually on the line. Because the lives of our young people, who they will become, and yes, their physical lives are on the line. Our children, the next generation, and the future leaders of our country are being directly affected. I was praying over my son last night before bed, and I looked at him. And I was just thinking, what are we doing for this next generation? And how are we going to leave this world? And what are we doing to speak, not just for eternity, which is what we're talking about today, but for the next generation that is going to grow up in this world, 
Are we willing to fight the battle that really matters right now so that the young people who are coming up are going to be able to stand for what is right and to walk in the truth of the gospel? We can't promise that tomorrow is not going to be dark, that there's not going to be persecution, that there's not going to be all of the things. We understand that's a very real reality. But we have a responsibility to stand for what is right in our generation and to pass the baton to the next generation so they can continue to stand for what is right in their generation. Never before in history has it become so clear what the enemy's agenda is. The question is, in light of what we're talking about here today, who do we vote for and why? See, here locally, we've been bombarded with ads about who is running for which office. I can't turn on a kid's show on YouTube without seeing the political ads. I can't turn on the television without seeing the political ads and the agenda. And it it focuses really, at least from what I've seen, around two things. The economy, which definitely I wish was better. But more importantly, about where you stand on abortion. On the choice that you make to protect life or to protect an entirely different agenda that would look to snuff out the lives of our young people. Amen. You see, I've heard my whole life that you can't vote based off of being pro-life because things would never actually change. And then guess what? Through prayer, through God's sovereignty, and the right people being placed in positions of authority, it was. There are certain non-negotiables, church. Yet we have a governor who would stand up, go into churches, have the audacity to ask for congregants to be her disciples, to follow her belief system, to follow the example of other states that would want to push abortion into infanticide, actually killing the baby after it has been born. Seems like every time there's a new bill that comes out, they just push it farther and farther. We have an individual running for sheriff who's a man identifying as a woman who's supposed to oversee law enforcement. Someone who doesn't know who they are trying to enforce the laws for our community. These decisions matter. It matters for the church, it matters for the body of Christ. Once again, we have those who would not hesitate to shut down our churches and to enforce standards on who we allow and to what restrooms and what marriages we have to perform. These things, they matter. But we have been called to be prepared, to be equipped, to be those who would bring our oil, to bring our influence, and to once again, to shine the light. To be able to shine the light of the gospel. But we cannot do this if we're being swayed by issues that don't matter or because we've always done things a certain way. Because we've been told by somebody that this is what we are called to do without checking first to see what the scripture is saying. We also have to realize that staying home and staying out of it is not an option. The next parable in this chapter 25 says the parable of talents and there's the three and he gives it to the one and they invest it and they make more and the second one does the same but the third one takes the talent buries it away because I was he was afraid of of the master and and what does the master come back and he says you foolish and wicked servant 
You didn't take what I gave you. You didn't, you didn't use it for good. You didn't invest it in where it was meant to be invested. And now I'm going to take it from you. What we do right now in this world, it matters. And furthermore, even beyond the vote, if we look at the world around us and we see darkness and we see brokenness, are we willing to be the ones to respond to the call and to do something about it? Are we willing to see the issues of our communities and to say this is a problem, but there is a kingdom solution and I am just bold enough or stupid enough to think that God inside of me is able to bring the answer that I need for this situation? I would say that it was bold enough. I wouldn't go with the stupid option. There are some of us in this room that have been called to go into, the, to, into those arenas. There are some of us already who are in those arenas. But I believe there are more that God is calling. Christianity, once again, is not a label. It is a call. It's a responsibility that we must respond to. I want to ask if our worship team would come up this morning. You see, right now in the time that we're living in, it's our responsibility to invest in the places that are going to speak for eternity and to invest in those who would stand for what we believe in, for our ideals, and to pray for them, as well as to pray for those who don't, but to pray for courage and boldness for the men and women who would run for office to stand for what is right, to not neglect any of these levels of the fight whether it would be spirit or soul or body, but to understand that when we follow him, he gives us the wisdom and the discernment and the instruction we need to be who we've been called to be. We cannot, however, continue to sit back and just expect that someone else is going to do it. We can't put all our hopes on one man and think this is the one who's going to make it all work. We are the body of Christ. We have been placed on the earth for such a time as this. Are we going to get used to the darkness? Or are we going to bring and to reintroduce the light? Verse 10 once again said, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. They had made the investment that mattered, and they stepped into the place of celebration. But then the door was shut. They came and they said, Lord, let us in. And he said, I don't know you. There are those in this world who would live their lives by the ideals that they think are the right ones, thinking they're doing what is right, but never actually having the flame lit inside of them or carrying the oil and carrying the spirit, not actually knowing him. We as the church have to be the ones that bring the awareness of who we are to the world around us, to bring the oil, to invest in our own lives and to say, yes, Jesus, whatever you're going to do. So this morning, I got to ask this question. What are we going to do now that is going to speak for eternity? What are we going to do now as the church? What are we going to do now in the times of prayer? Are we willing to not just pray for revival, but to believe for his will to be done through his church in every area? Are we going to stand up and invest in the places that matter? Or are we going to take the responsibility? Are we going to take the responsibility to pray for those who are in these positions? 
I believe that God was saying in the first service that there is a harvest that is coming. I believe it's in many different areas. But for the harvest to come, the seed must be planted. And there must be those who are willing to say, yes, I will go into the harvest. I will say yes to what God has called me to do. I will believe in the places where it seems impossible. I will not give up. I will persevere. I will be a man or a woman who has been called according to his name and to pursue him at all costs. 